0: the first time i listened to this record i remember where i was like my buddy made a tape for me i was on the bus going to a football mm-hmm. game because i played in the band in my high school and i remember sitting on the bus with my walkman and listening to this record and i remember hearing i always knew and just being like oh my god and like just you know <laughs> and he was on the bus too and i looked when i looked over at him and i was like oh my god dude this song is incredible this is amazing, yeah, yeah i was like <laughs> losing my mind Talking record. track breakdown of all the songs so grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat today we'll look at another record in its entirety
1: hello what's up everyone my name is jed and you're listening to talking records a podcast where we well talk about records But not just any old records. These are the ones that are considered our favorites, and so the goal here is to spotlight them. We try to gather up everything we can find on a particular album and put it here in one place. Today I am joined by fellow podcaster, songwriter, musician Wyatt. How's it going, Wyatt?
0: Hey, it's going pretty good. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on.
1: I'm super, super psyched to have you on this show because when I discovered podcasts a number of years ago... Your podcast, Sail On, a podcast devoted to the albums of the Beach Boys, was an immediate favorite. It was absolutely a podcast I looked to to guide my own aspirations. So this is cool. I appreciate that,
0: man. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm a fan of talking records as well. So a lot of mutual respect going on.
1: So Wyatt, for folks who don't know, tell us a little bit more about the Sail On podcast. What are you doing over there?
0: Sure. Um, You know, it's It's funny i was i've always been a huge beach boys fan i I was really into podcasts a few years back and i was listening to a couple podcasts one that my buddy was doing about the band metallica and i was like man this Mm. this podcast is incredible like it's so in-depth but it's also fun and there's like cool banter and you know there was so many cool things going on and i was looking for something related to the beach boys in that sort of vein and there wasn't anything there was like some some sort of you know vague like audio programs about the beach boys and and some websites but i just kind of thought there was a there was a huge gap there there's like no shortage of beatles podcasts and right you know like any band that you can think of but there were no really like in-depth beach boys podcasts so i just kind of took it upon myself i said look i'm just gonna try this you know, if it works, that's fine. If no one cares, at least I'm, I'm going to have fun doing it. <laughs> so I just set out to do exactly what I wanted to hear as far as like a Beach Boys podcast, you know, because I'm learning as I go. It was more just an experience of let's start from the beginning. Let's go as deep as possible and figure out what makes these albums so special and get really nerdy about it and hear, you know, how people got into the Beach Boys and have guests on and all this fun stuff and it worked out pretty well. Like it took off pretty quickly because I think there was that void that no one Mm -hmm. else was really doing a podcast that devoted to the beach boys. So it just kind of, you know, snowballed and it's been going really well. Like we're about three and a half years in to quote Joe queer. It's the same circus, different clowns. Um, (laughs) I've got different, (laughs) different people helping me out with it now than when we started, but I think it's going really well. It's a lot of fun. Um, It's a lot of work, but it's, it's been like, just a really, really cool experience. I met so many cool people doing it. The the ball keeps rolling. I'm, we're getting into the late 60s now, so it's a kind of a fun period for me yeah. as far as the Beach Boys music where there's not as much... The documentaries and books don't really cover that period very well, so it's right. really exciting for me to kind of get to you know, do my own digging and get into it and get nerdy with it. But yeah, I mean, if you like the Beach Boys, please head over and check us out it's just sail on the beach Boys podcast it's, it's a chronological order you can jump in wherever you like or you can start from the beginning it's it's pretty fun
1: and it's a great podcast and as a huge beach boy fan myself I love the amount of detail and research and context that you guys provide and You've gone through Pet Sounds, through Smiley Smile, and you Mm -hmm. guys are heading into my favorite era of the band. So I am very excited for upcoming episodes. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, today Wyatt and I will not be talking about the Beach Boys. We will actually be talking about the 1996 Queers album, Don't Back Down. Don't Back Down was released on August 27th, 1996 on Lookout Records. The album was recorded that spring at Big Sound Studios in Westbrook, Maine. The studio is closed now, but I remember a lot of local bands like Big D and the Kid's Table, Kicked in the Head, and our friends in a band called Blind Luck Music recorded up there. So it's a pretty well-known studio for for the area that I live in.
0: Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in Portland, Maine, and Westbrook is a... I guess it's a suburb of mm-hmm. Portland. There's not much there. I've been there a few times before I knew that, about this connection. The guy that I, that I work with up there, Kurt Baker, he told me one time, he's like, you know, Don't Back Down was recorded in Westbrook. I was like, are you kidding me? In Westbrook? <laughs> Why? What's going on in Westbrook? Right there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the studio's not there anymore, but I was blown away to hear that. The album was produced by Larry Livermore, Master
1: Georgini, and former queers guitarist J.J. Rassler. Livermore insisted that they use audio engineer Mas Giorgini, who had recorded love songs for the retarded, beat-off, and the band's previous album, Move Back Home, which had been a really complicated album to make. A combination of drugs, alcohol, and unfinished material caused the sessions to be challenging and the resulting album subpar. Going into this record, the band was feeling as though their previous two albums hadn't been up to par with their peers, Screeching Weasel and Mr. T Experience. Vocalist guitarist Joe Queer reached out to J.J. Rasler, and the two began planning the next album. Larry Livermore, who had removed himself from the process of making the band's previous album, agreed to come back. Focusing on a balance between the Ramones and the Beach Boys, Joe and JJ began trading cassette tapes with song ideas.
0: It's, it's funny and now about how kind of thrown together the two previous albums are, because I really loved Move Back Home. I thought it was yeah. a great record. <laughs> the the first nice. tattoo i ever got when i turned 18 is the felix the cat from the move back home cover and i don't know i love that record it, listening back to it it is kind of rough like joe's voice isn't as good as it as mm. it is on don't back down or love songs or beat off but um i think there's some really good songs on there but definitely can tell that they really went they went for it all with with don't back down they yeah. put a lot more effort into it for sure
1: with the promise of finished material and more focus, the band headed up to Maine. Bassist B-Face told me we wanted to stay fairly close to home to do the record, since the previous ones had been done in Chicago or Indiana, and just getting to those places takes time, money, and effort. He also added, Plus, JJ lived outside Boston, and he could come up and help record as well. Concerning Big Sound Studio, producer Master Georgini said on the Jughead's Basement podcast, The original room was designed by one of the founders of DBX which is a big sound company. An older studio, it was nice and quiet. According to Mass on the podcast, the sessions were loaded with technical difficulties. The board was outdated and well-used. The electronics were noisy with pops and clicks, which drove Mass crazy. I reached out to bassist B-Face, and he recalled many things that ate up time and frustrated Mass, though he is an extremely patient person. <laughs> He recalled the band letting Mass and the studio owner at the time deal with the problems. He said, often we could use the time to tweak parts of a song or talk about the recording.
0: Yeah, the record was was done in about a week. So mm-hmm. even with that being said, it feels like they recorded it pretty quickly. They must yeah. have been pretty efficient. I know that Mass said that they worked. he worked kind of around the clock on this record to get mm-hmm. it done. Um, and there was a kind of an air of... Uh, in In the studio of like we're here to work, like yeah. we need to really get this record finished and, and do a good job on it so and mass is just he's a obviously a great producer, and I've had the opportunity to work with him before, and he's just such a kind, sweet guy, and just cares so much about making great records so it's uh, I'm glad that he was on board with this to to come out of his comfort zone you know <laughs> into this new studio right. <laughs> even with all the technical difficulties man they really they really got something special
1: according to an interview in the portsmouth new hampshire newspaper the album attracted the attention of brett Gerwitz, an original member of bad religion and owner of epitaph records according to king the band shook hands on a three album deal but as they were waiting for the official contract tensions between bandmates grew Joe explained, one of the last weekends as a band, we went out to Illinois for three shows and we fought the whole way down. I wanted to leave Lookout. I thought we went as far as we could with Lookout. But O'Neill and Bernard, uh, referring to Hugh and Bee Face, didn't want to go. So it is uh, important to remember that after this record, the band kind of fractured a little bit.
0: It sounds like it just kind of all happened really quickly They they were kind of at the peak of their success too which is is wild but you know sometimes things just kind of fold like that right um you know i don't know the whole story but yeah i mean just kind of what you were just saying there was some legal stuff involved and some Mm. he said she said type stuff right (laughs) there always is (laughs) i mean the queers have had like 50 members over the last (laughs) 40 years so I mean, who's to say? I don't know. I mean, it's really just Joe keeping the train rolling, but man, I love right. that lineup. I mean, I really yeah. did. It was, I mean, obviously their best their best lineup, the the classic era, but I it is cool to hear my buddy Jeff Useless, age 17, joining the Queers for that next EP that came out on yeah. Hopeless Records. Pretty wild.
1: Yeah. Wyatt, I want to know, how did you get into the Queers. How'd you get into this particular record?
0: I grew up in a really small town in Mississippi, Starkville. I didn't get into The Queers until really right just before this record came out. I was probably like 13 or so when I discovered Lookout Records by way of Green Day. You know, So I, I kind of discovered Lookout Records and then kind of worked my way backwards from there. And I, I remember buying a, a Screeching Weasel record in our local record store that, was, that would get you know, a few of the Lookout releases every now and then. I didn't know, I had Mr. T Experience records and I had um, Screeching Weasel records. I think I bought the, the Punk USA compilation that came out that Ben Weasel put together and it had a queer song on it. It had Blabbermouth, mm. which is a cool song, but it's not like a great song. And I remember hearing it and being like, okay, cool, the queers. And there was also a song by the Beatnik Termites, which I loved and it got me into that band. And it was kind of a A great way that I discovered a few. It had Rat Tail Grenader, which became Squirt Gun. Mass Georgini's band. So it had a couple of things in there that that kind of branched off for me that I was able to to discover some more cool music. I had a friend who I was playing in a band with. I think he bought Don't Back Down when it came out. He was the one that got me into Mr. T Experience. So he made a cassette of the record for me. And he was like, you're going to love this because he knew that I loved the Beach Boys. I never heard any of the queer's albums I just never it, I kind of lived in a vacuum that way like if I didn't mm. buy the record I didn't hear it you know there was a, this was pre internet streaming anything like oh, that yeah. <laughs> so if you didn't spend the money you know find it at the store order it from the lookout catalog you didn't hear it he made me a cassette of that record it blew me away cuz there was so much cool kind of references to the beach boys not only just the cover of the beach boys song but just the the vibe of the record and stuff yeah. and I was I was really blown away I bought it immediately. Yeah, kind of. That was my introduction to the Queers, really. I mean, was was this record? I was fifteen when it came out. It was August of '96, and I think I heard it in September. And mm-hmm. I bought it right away. That that's how it came to be. And I went backwards from there and bought all their records, and uh, you know would would put various songs on on tapes and listened to them in my car, which I only had a tape deck at the time. <laughs> and it was just such a great time. I can still remember driving around in my car, listening to all those queer songs from like love songs for the retarded to don't back down that yeah. era. They're still like some of my favorite albums ever, but yeah, this one, especially because of, I think not only the beach boy stuff, but just, it's just a great record. Like it sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. the The melodies and harmonies and, the guitar parts and the songs are just so catchy and and it really blew my mind.
1: Well, for me, my interest in the queers actually came in three waves. So mm-hmm. I had heard the queers through reading about Lookout Records in 94 and 95, just like you through Green mm-hmm. Day. Uh, but it wasn't actually until I picked up a Hopeless Records Cinema Beer Nuts compilation. I don't know if, you, yep. if you've ever seen that, that. around. Mm-hmm. And I found out about a lot of bands from that comp, but that was the first time I heard the band. They they do a cover of Don't Back Down from this record that we're yep. talking about. And it's on that comp. And I just loved it. It was just like this updated, powerful rendition of the song. I had been a Beach Boys fan since birth, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun to hear this band. I didn't know anything about them, but they were doing this great cover of the song. And I immediately liked it. It was an instant favorite on the comp. But it wasn't really until college, a few years later, that I got into the band. The CD library at the radio station I worked at had a copy of Don't Back Down. And that was the best thing about working at the radio station because you could just Mm. (laughs) basically borrow from the immense stacks of CDs and and records that they had there. And I grabbed this one uh, on the strength of that cover song. I wanted to hear the rest of the album and hear what they had to offer. And I can recall just really loving, you know, the album. You know, there might have been a song or two, which we'll mention later, that I, I didn't care much for. But it was just like punchy punk rock with great harmonies. You weren't really hearing like those Beach Boy harmonies yeah. over punk rock. It just had a really summery feel. I This record definitely makes me think of summer. I listen to it more often in the summertime. Even if they weren't singing about the beach, it just still felt summery for some reason. And, you know, they were basically playing... 60s garage rock but with distorted guitars so it was it was really cool i really liked it a lot so the third wave is finally in 2007 i met a dude named jay prozac who is a good friend of mine you probably know jay Mm -hmm. you know having a chance to hang out with him he's a huge queers fan and he went on tour with them and used to just tell me stories about the band and about joe and i got introduced to so many bands through friendship with him and And uh, I remember I borrowed his entire Queers collection (laughs) and just loaded it all onto my computer. So it was great to just get everything kind of at once. Nice. Are you ready to break this record down
0: track by track? Let's do it.
1: The record starts off with No Tit right off the bat (laughs) a hard skip for me man
0: (laughs) first song and we're not off to a good start i guess but is it the is it the the lyrical content that turns you off of this one
1: yeah it's you know i love this album so much Mm. i can't say enough good things about it i think because i I love it so much i can comfortably say i just don't like this song you know Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that this is the lead off track i mean yeah, it's the lyrics, man. Until you've placed yourself in the shoes of someone engaged in, like, a battle of with body dysphoria, you sure. can understand what that struggle is like. I, just, I, I can't comfortably listen to a song mm. where the guy is, like, talking about getting picked on by his friends for going around with a girl with a small chest. It, you know, I've only listened to this song probably a handful of times. And, like, I was telling you before we started, when I... <laughs> added this record to my iTunes, I just unclicked that song. And for me, <laughs> the record starts with Punk Rock Girls. But
0: Well, I mean, I totally get that. And I would never argue against that. But it is interesting hearing the band talk about this song because I, I, I never really read too much into it because The Queers had songs that were just literally written around phrases or ideas that were meant to be offensive. Like the whole right. band name, The Queers, was meant to be piss people off exactly. so i knew like there would be there are certain songs on albums that are just you know i mean stupid fucking vegan yeah <laughs> and, you know just like meant to piss people off and right and i think this this title may have come out of that but like if you really read into it like it's this guy is kind of defending his girlfriend against all this talk like he's Mm -hmm. he's saying you know uh your sexist chatter bores us all she's flat as a board i just don't care like so he's saying like it's okay that she's got no tit but my friends are always making fun of me about my girl who has no tit so i think it came out of just a funny you know line let's write a song about you know no tit because it's just kind of a ridiculous (laughs) song title but I don't know it's kind of the epitome of of the queers is like having these happy fun songs but also these songs that are
1: these like shocking ones. just yeah. like yeah i mean it's, i mean
0: these are guys that grew up with Gigi allen you know it's like they have to yeah, you know yeah. there there is that aspect of the queers that is always going to be there and that a lot of people like honestly it's like when you go see a queer show like the people that are at the show are there to hear songs that are like no tit the the songs that are more abrasive. You know, and it's not one of my favorites on the album, but I do enjoy right. it. And it's one of those songs that the queers play at pretty much every show, I'm pretty sure. But I love my girl and she loves me, so don't laugh and act snide. You know, I mean I think it's the message is actually pretty pure in this song. You know, if you really get into it, but it is kind of written around that shock value.
1: And there's another song in this record that I i like but i love to make fun of it so it's like one of those things you know mm. there's no like animosity or anger here. yeah it's just you know all right so let's move on to punk rock girls yummy yummy punk rock girls <laughs> yummy yummy punk rock girls Ah, here we go. I love this song. I mean, to me, this is where the album starts. It's, it's a song about those wonderful punk rock girls, and it's just so catchy. And I just, I love this song. When it comes on, I get mm-hmm. really excited. Just a classic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of their more popular songs. And, you know, they they put this out kind of as a single on the uh, Bubblegum Dreams EP yes. a month earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, made a music video for this song. Right. It's pretty crazy. Kind of swinging for the fences on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was kind of written last minute in the studio, from what I remember. Yeah. It was um, the last Joe, song recorded for the yeah, album. Yeah. Joe was like kind of writing the lyrics in the studio. You know, shout out to Jughead's podcast where uh, Mass was talking about Larry recommended that he sing my heart done be inflated yeah and then Mass was like you can't do that (laughs) yeah it's a great story um so he just changed it to my heart is all inflated but um yeah i remember hearing this song and just it made me feel like man i've i didn't know any punk rock girls like there were no punk rock girls in my school there were goth girls but there were no (laughs) punk rock girls and i was so like just enamored with the idea of like girls that wore leather jackets and high top chucks i mean it was such a foreign concept to me like you know i would meet girls you know on the internet that were punk rock girls but man my small town no there were no punk rock girls so (laughs) this was always kind of like that california myth Right type vibe for me it was like man like they're out fantasy. there somewhere i got to get out there and find them these punk rock yeah. girls and i remember <laughs> the <are> first <laughs> time i went to boston i went to boston after my junior year of high school for a uh a summer class thing at berkeley mm-hmm. and i would just go walk around all day like on newberry street and like just looking for like and i would talk to and meet so many cool punk rock girls mm-hmm. you know to me <laughs> it was just like mind-blowing i was like oh my gosh I was just so excited. So this song was like the, you know, it was just like this unattainable, you know, ideal of like a girl that is into punk rock and, you know, wears this leather jacket and stuff like that. It's so, you know, when I was 16, that was just such a cool concept to me. Yeah, absolutely. Still is. I mean, I'll, you know, punk rock girls oh, totally. are awesome. <laughs> I <laughs> so, love those punk rock girls, yeah. Yeah, man. And, and it's just a super catchy song, and it's just kind of the... You know, like it doesn't reinvent the wheel or anything for Joe, but right. it's just kind of a great, you know, Joe queer song. And mm-hmm. you know, I love the farfisa organ on it and the Lisa Marr backing vocals and stuff. It's just, it's just awesome. Chris Horn of Portland, Maine garage rock band The Brood
1: played yeah, the organ. That's right. Another cool story about the song is I guess Joe hadn't finished the lyrics and reached out to Frank Portman of MTX for help and unable to get in contact with him he uh just completed the lyrics in a few minutes and he puts a reference in the song me and dr frank have both decided that we love them more than toast which before i knew that i was like what the hell does that line mean like (laughs) why are they singing about toast and of course it's a reference to the mr t experience song more than toast from their 93 album our bodies ourselves so it was kind of cool to unearth that nugget and finally realize why the hell he was singing about Dr. Frank and Toast.
0: <laughs> I do love that.
1: You mentioned the punk rock girls uh being chosen for the bubblegum dreams EP. I used to have that, but I loved it because it had great outtakes uh on there. They had that song and then Never Ever Ever, oh, which man. was great. Yeah. They do Little Honda by the Beach yeah, Boys, which so is a good. great cover. And then one of my favorite muff songs of all time, mm. End It All. With Lisa so Marr we'll good. talk about is on there, and that's a great, great cover of that Muff song. So,
0: man, there's so many good EPs that came out on Lookout Records. Yeah, like, um, man, Formula Twenty Seven by Screeching Weasel, mm-hmm. and our Bo- uh, not our bodies, ourselves, but um, and the Women Who Love Them by Mr T Experience. Yep. Surf Goddess by the Queers. Yeah. But n- but Bubblegum Dreams is the best one. I mean, it is just so good, and the the cover art. And yeah. the the songs, I mean, yeah, the, the Muffs cover is amazing. The Beach Boys cover is amazing. But never, ever, I remember, I didn't have a record player. And this was only released on 7-inch at the time. And my buddy, who the same guy who got me into this record, he had the, the 7-inch. So he made me a tape of it. Nice. And I was just... I mean it was incredible. It was like back in the day when you would have to go hunt for import singles to hear B sides, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like Weezer B sides yeah. or Green Day B sides. It was like finding this queers B side that was basically, you know, worthy in every way of being on this record to me. Oh, totally. I thought never I thought never ever was like, Man, like that should have been on Don't Back Down. It's so yeah. good. It's just such a yeah. great melody and the the ending with all the different harmonies and stuff. God man, it's so good. Yeah. And I just remember just being blown away by that song and it's like man i wish this was on cd because i was I man, it was like a like i said in my town like nobody knew about punk rock and i didn't have a record player so i was just buying all these records on cd and sometimes cassette so i was mm-hmm. so bummed that this wasn't on cd um, right I'm i did come out that, later yeah. on but <laughs> yeah man i was i was so bummed that i couldn't get this <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah i love that ep man it's so cool it's a good i love one. it yeah
1: I'm okay, you're fucked. A great angry song you can aim at anyone at school or at work. You're just tired of dealing with that person. This is a great one for yeah. <laughs> Yep. Throughout, Joe describes this person who causes problems. Maybe an egotistical person who thinks they're too cool. Joe prides himself on just being a normal dude. I'm okay. And then can't say the same about his subject. You're fucked i just i don't know i love it it's a good song
0: <laughs> yeah i always like this one um it's that you know back and forth TikTok like uh, two sides of joe queer mm-hmm. where it's like this sweet song and then all of a sudden yeah. he's like pissed off ready to fight <laughs> right. i love that though no, i mean it was i mean that was kind of how i felt growing up in my town and being like the only kid that was wearing a leather jacket and mm. had like blue hair and i was like always like ready to fight somebody <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't like me because of how i dress you know but I'm sensitive but i'll kill you yeah, yeah. exactly it's like you know <laughs> i love this song i love the hue yeah you know, guest vocal on it I guess that was a pretty last-minute thing, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's self-explanatory, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm okay, you're fucked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not a lot That's too, the way I too. felt about all the rednecks that wanted to make fun of me and wanted to fight me at <laughs> my school. Yeah, so exactly. I always enjoyed that, yeah. I mean, nothing else to say about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's straightforward. But uh, it's such a great kind of reprieve. The sequencing of this record is awesome. I think it's yeah. like... You know, you go from No Tit into Punk Rock Girls into I'm Okay, You're Fucked, and then the next song we're going to talk about. So it's just such a cool kind of flow to it where you get, like, this TikTok-type thing, like, back and forth. Yeah, different you know. flavors for sure, yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, and there's... I think there's more, like, pop on this record than, you know, than the aggro stuff, but mm-hmm. um, it is kind of cool. I mean, I'm I do appreciate it for what it is. It's, it's a good listen. Um, it keeps you on your toes a little bit.
1: All right. So let's get into number one, a song co-written with JJ Razzler of the Boston bands, DMZ and the downbeat five. (laughs) Razzler had also been a one-time member of the queers in the eighties playing a little guitar. Uh, he was a collaborator in the past. And so he came back to work with Joe on a number of songs on this record this one janelle janelle and i can't get over you cool to have a writing partner probably breathe yeah. a little life a little energy a little competition maybe into mm. the the process and i think what we got is a is a great album from that that collaboration so
0: yeah jj rassler had a lot to do with this record especially the the popular songs and he was also a big beach boys fan and i know that he and joe went way back and they would write together back in the day and he played with the queers for a while i think there's a video online of him playing with the queers in like oh really the late 80s um it's pretty incredible joe has hair and uh <laughs> it's it's wild man i'll send you a link if i can find it but I'll have to check um it out. yeah uh i remember like just a side here jj rassler i remember I, Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but I think I went to one of the first times. Maybe it was the first time I ever went to Maine to work with Kurt Baker. I was up there, and uh, we were at some bar seeing a band, and Kurt was like, "That's JJ Rassler over there," and I was like, really? "What? Like JJ Rassler? Like from the Queers?" And he was like, "Yeah, that's JJ Rassler," oh my God. and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like you know, and it was just like <laughs> crazy to me. I was like, "Man, he's just hanging out at this bar." Yeah. Anyway, yeah, this song is. Uh, my favorite song on this record. I remember hearing this song and being so pumped about how poppy and how slow this song was. For me at the mm. time, I was listening to a lot of pretty upbeat stuff, you know, and was really into the Ramones and and punk rock. And then to hear like these guys that were, you know, coming right out of you know some pretty aggro songs like like uh, I'm okay, you're fucked. And then to to play a song like number one with like an extended intro with like a guitar like a basically like a clean guitar intro and yeah. stuff it was just really mind-blowing to me and like it kind of uh, made me feel like man i can i can kind of spread my wings a little bit in the punk rock genre and not have to feel so boxed in you're
1: my number one you're my number one you're my number one
0: you know, looking back now, it's like, yeah, this is still kind of a punk rock song. But to me at the time, it felt so different. It felt so like much more of like a ballad. I know that's kind of silly to say, but it felt like a power ballad that the queers were doing, you know, it's like, just such a great, sweet melody and song. I remember covering it with my first band. Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, I was just so excited about this song. um, And just still am. And I listened, I was listening to it today. And just, it still just kills me. It's so good. I love the ending with all the harmonies and stuff, like yeah. stacking all the stuff. Those are great harmonies. Um, yeah, I mean, J.J. J. Rassler brings a lot of cool pop elements to, to Joe's songs. And it's still one of my favorite queer songs. Uh, one of my favorite all-time songs. I have a I have a playlist called All-Time Favorite Songs, and it's just every genre, every era, and this is on there. I mean, It's oh, nice. just one of my nice. favorite songs, period. I love it. It's just... It's right
1: up my alley. I remember when I first heard it, my dad had this like box set called Nuggets. I'm sure you're familiar with Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And we used to just listened to that all the time. And I was just familiar with all these songs. And so when I first heard this record, I remember this song came on. And one of the first thoughts I had was, holy shit, this sounds like a punk rock Nuggets. You know, this is like straight from that, yeah. mm. you know, that 60s garage rock Mm-hmm. So I just really dug it. I always really liked this one. I, I thought it was just a well-written song. It was. I also found that there's a version of this song by the Downbeat Five on their Smoke and Mirrors live album. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so he must have realized it was a good song too and took it with him and <laughs> played it with his band. So that, that's cool. Let's move on to Don't Back Down. Nice. This is the first queer song I ever heard and it wasn't even their song but
0: you know that's all right i
1: loved it and i guess this is where we we talk a little bit about the beach boys
0: yeah i mean this i i I made the connection right away when i saw the album title to this but Mm. um hearing this song on there was like it kind of i I was i was always a beach boys fan because my dad was a huge beach boys fan but when i heard this song on the queers record and like i said this was the they had done hawaii on on move back home but this was the first queer record that i listened to so when i heard don't back down i was like oh my gosh like this is incredible like they're doing the beach boys in a punk rock style and yeah and it kind of validated my love for the beach boys cuz i was you know when you're that age you're really impressionable and and you you kind of want to you kind of want to to fit into some sort of click or some sort of, uh, even though I didn't have a lot of friends that were into it, I mm. was, you know, I was pretty into like punk rock and and wanted to, you know, play punk rock music and I wanted my whole thing to be that I was into punk rock. But I loved the Beach Boys. And, mm. uh, you know, so this kind of validated my love for the Beach Boys. It was like the Beach Boys are cool. The Beach Boys are punk rock, you know, and that was really a big deal for me as a kid who... Was trying to, you know, figure out my place, you know, and and making music and kind of fitting into a clique or, you know, or having some sort of identity. So that was always really exciting to me. Whenever the Queers would would cover the Beach Boys and hearing them do Hawaii and then you know Little Honda later, yeah, was really exciting for me. And this is really well done. Like, you know, it's definitely the most. I think I think they really put a lot of work into the harmonies on this record, mm-hmm. and um, Joe's got a really good falsetto. Like he kills it. He does a great yeah. job on that. <laughs> you know, some of it's kind of dumbed down a little bit, of course, but it's yeah, it's so charming, and I think it fits great with the vibe of this record. Yeah, it makes for it makes for a cool album title too because it's kind of that whole thing. It's like Don't Back Down is kind of a tough guy statement, but it's also like this Beach Boys song where it's yeah. like, you know, we're into you know, 60s garage music and pop music, but we're also like dudes with leather jackets that are going to kick your ass. Like it's kind of that <laughs> duality and I loved that when I was when I was a kid and it just the Queers instantly became my favorite band when I heard this record. I mean, it was that big of a deal to me because it was like mm-hmm. this whole two worlds colliding. It's like, man, I can like the Beach Boys and still be punk rock? Yeah, yeah. I'm in, you know? So yeah, it's a big deal.
1: Well, I remember loving the Beach Boys throughout my life, but mm-hmm. I remember like kind of getting ragged on a little bit for liking the Beach Boys. Like, oh, you like the Beach Boys? Like, it was, you know, for, for some people, they were kind of seen as a novelty and they were kind of seen as a joke, the surf songs. But all of a sudden you had bands like the Ramones who obviously love the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. And then you had the Queers. So suddenly like getting into punk rock, I was like, Oh, here are some people that appreciate the Beach Boys. Like, all right, these are my people, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that, totally. was, that was I great. think
0: that I think that that really hit home with a lot of people, yeah. um, which is which is awesome. I mean, it, I, I think, you know, here in B face talk about how he originally like hated the Beach yeah. Boys. <laughs> Joe would always listen to the Beach Boys, and he was like, "I'm so sick of the Beach Boys." <laughs> you know? right. But and I loved it. I loved that that Joe was such a Beach Boys fan, and it was always clear to me. You know, I was I got really excited about it, and I was like, "Dad, check out this band! Like they're punk rock, but they're playing the Beach Boys." <laughs> and I just remember just being so excited about it, and like, man, it's okay. And I put a, a Beach Boys pin on my leather jacket. You know, I was like finally proud to be a Beach Boys fan. I was like, man, nice. the queers like the Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was cool. It was, you know, when you're a kid, man, it's it's a big deal to get that yeah. validation. Get that validation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: And so you would think it would be Joe's idea, but it was actually Beeface's idea to cover the song. And so yeah, that's that surprises me. But yeah, the fact that he didn't like the beach, but he said that he eventually came around to liking them just through hanging out with Joe. But yeah, (laughs) it's mm -hmm. kind of funny that he was like. And they recorded it. They
0: they made a video for this song too, where they're like hanging out on the beach playing. Yeah. You know, they kind of it's kind of like a throwback to the Frankie and Annette movies from the sixties, kind of beach party movies. Films. Yeah, I love that. It was a cool that one actually. I saw on, I think I saw that on MTV. Like it played like once. I used to stay up and and record. 120 minutes because it would come on at um, 11 Mm p.m. And um, I had to go to bed at 11 p.m. My parents would make me (laughs) go to bed at 11 p.m. So I would just put in a VHS and hit record on MTV and record it every Sunday night. So because there would always be I know that they played like the Mr. T Experience uh, once or twice they played played Squirt Gun Marianne once or Mm -hmm. twice so that was like I was always just waiting to see if there would be a lookout you know like a punk rock band that was played on there. Um, yeah. so I'd record it every week and I think I saw the queers I could be wrong, but I think I saw the queers don't back down on that, and it was incredible. Um That's before awesome. they put out like the tune in lookout compilation, like the VHS. Man, again, like the queers just taking that whole genre and like kind of mashing it up with the Ramones core aspect yeah. of it was just Pumping such a cool a thing bit, yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, let's take a look at "I Only Drink Bud." This is just a funny song. It's just, you know, there's references to rancid, screeching weasel, Dan Pappin in here. Yeah, just
0: yeah. a song about drinking beer. So I didn't drink beer at the time. I mean, I was 15, so I yeah. didn't, you know, think much about the actual like the beer quotes in this. Knowing anything, I didn't know anything about what old style was or right. you know. <laughs> I didn't know what on the wagon meant or anything like that, so it was just kind of over my head, but I was yeah. kind of a late bloomer as far as drinking beer. Um, mm-hmm. I was of actual drinking age before I drank beer. But when I did start drinking beer, I made a I made a very conscious choice to like, you know drink Budweiser. like I remember the uh-huh. first beer I ever bought and drank was like at a show and I was like 21. And they're like, you guys want, because I played a gig and they were like, you guys get a free bucket of beer. And I was like, cool, we'll take Bud. And I didn't even really drink beer, <laughs> but I was like, I know the queers drink Bud, so I'm going to do that. drink <laughs> so, Bud. Yeah. It was just sort of like, well, I'll make it easy. And, and you know, to this day, that's kind of like in my mind whenever I'm at a, like a dive bar where it's that's like funny. I have to choose between some cheap beers. I'm always going to choose Bud. Yeah. You know, it's probably a lot in part due to this song. Yeah, then going to Chicago back in the day and seeing Old Style being like, hey, you know, yeah. it's like the Leo DiCaprio meme <laughs> where he's pointing. <laughs> I was like, that's it. That's from the Queer song. I got to try right. it. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, it was always exciting to see Old Style because it's like, that's from the I Only Drink Bud. Yeah, but stay away from the Heineken because that's skunk piss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I remember the same the same idea there. Yeah, never never really you know thought too much about this song until I actually started drinking. I do like the song a lot. I like yeah. the the references cuz I was a big Rancid fan as well and Ben Weasel and and knowing who Vapid was that was always exciting. It's kind of another goofy song, but it's a poppy song and it's it's a it's a good melody and yeah, you know. Again, it's a fun song. They play a lot live too. I've seen them play this a lot. I love the ending, kind of the false endings there yeah um I love the way it says motherfuckers
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it was like that part alright man let's move on to I Always Knew this is a straight up 50s style punk rock oh, yeah. love song I love it it's even got like the the spoken word part at the end you know like <laughs> it's got this is reminiscent of old R&B tunes with Joe kind of like talking I don't need a princess with you in my life
0: I don't need a I'm something to someone I'm into
1: right now. I'm just a punk
0: rock in love. Yeah, this song like kicked my butt as well when I was a when I was a kid, when I heard it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's in six eight time. You know, yeah. I was like, this is so different, <laughs> so cool, like it's a ballad. It was again more validation for me liking you know the Beach Boys and sixties music and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Doo-wop type stuff. And I love the Lisa Marr harmonies on this.
1: Yes. She's great.
0: Yeah, she she adds so much to this record. I know she came in pretty quickly and did just a ton of vocals and stuff, and mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about that, obviously. But yeah, what a what a cool song! Again, more of those cool layers and of of harmonies and stuff. Great drumming by Hugh on this song. Yeah. I always like that always stands out to me. Like his drumming on this record's killer. Like, yeah, he saw it. But man, this song I love the drumming on it. It's just it's great. Man, I've never seen them play this song live. That would be a cool song to hear them play.
1: Yeah, this would be a cool this would be a good one to see live. Yeah.
0: Man, yeah, it's it's one of the standout tracks on this record for sure. This song just kicked my ass when I heard it, you know. <laughs> and you know, who I don't know how many people would say this song kicked their ass, but this song really did. Like it was just so so cool to hear like such a poppy ballad type song from a van called the queers that was all wearing leather jackets right it's yeah a big yeah. deal yeah <laughs> you wouldn't expect him to play songs like this if you just looked
1: at them no. or just kind of read about them but then you get these like great you know these 50s style swinging like you said 6a how many yeah you know, how many punk songs are in 6a i can't think of many, Not many. I mean, there's a few there's an mxpx song sure um, sure but yeah yeah i mean i just love that and i'm a big fan of that that kind of music r&b and, and, mm-hmm. and garage rock so for me it was like the It was like two great worlds coming together so
0: yeah absolutely
1: all right let's get into a born to do dishes so why this is the song that i love to pick on yeah (laughs) and i pick on it out of love and i I joke with jay my buddy jay from the prozac's about this all the time i say pop punk is just loaded with songs about mundane shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep doing the dishes man like the world needs a song about washing dishes
0: (laughs) oh yeah well, that's the thing. It's like that. This was like Joe did wash dishes. Like he right, owned a yeah. restaurant at the time, and he had to wash dishes. So I think it was just something that he, you know, it was autobiographical. He had something that he related to that he could write about. Yeah, um, I guess
1: B faced helped him out with it, and B
0: faced yeah. washed dishes for him. Yeah, so that's <laughs> like, right.
1: It's this is really funny situation where you're really writing about what they knew
0: yeah i mean and it does speak to kind of the everyman thing like punk rock being you know a bunch of guys that you know wash dishes or you know or taking out the trash or whatnot like there there's that kind of working man mentality going on here that was charming you know i didn't know that joe had a restaurant or anything mm. at the time i didn't know the the back of it but it was cool years later to know that joe actually owned a restaurant and right. um did have to wash dishes and i think yeah i mean b face obviously was washing dishes at joe's restaurant and stuff like that so i don't know i dig this song i like the demo they did with 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 frank portman singing on like the harmonies and stuff that was a cool story yeah but he yeah, was like cool. just in town walking by and joe pulled him into the studio and he pulled had never in. heard it before uh, i was I always loved that kind of thing but mm. um yeah, it's it's cool and I love the kind of just fuck you aspect of it where it's like I was born to do dishes. I'm so proud. But my mom's really bummed out. You know, that's like <laughs> so punk rock just being like, yeah. you know, I don't care what my mom thinks. I I have a shitty job and I'm good at it and you know, it's just you know, I mean, I I worked in the food service industry for a long time. So I totally get that kind of vibe where you're not super proud about it. You know, but then you realize, man, I'm good at this. You <laughs> guys can fuck off. I'm good at doing right? dishes. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's a fun song. I like the lyrics. It took me a minute to figure out what pearl diving was all about, but it makes yeah. sense now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was a senior in high school, I washed
1: dishes for a year and it's just, uh, it's it's a wretched job. It is hot. I worked in a kitchen that was like 104 degrees. Oh, man. And, you know, so I, I did that, and then I heard this song. And then what I also ended up picking up years ago, and I didn't make the connection until recently, is I got this book. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah. It's um, the Dishwasher, Dishwasher Pete, Pete, Pete book. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So this song was actually written for a compilation mm-hmm. that Dishwasher Pete put out. And so... Who's Dishwasher Pete? He's this guy. Uh, the book's called Dishwasher, One Man's Quest to Wash Dishes in All 50 States. Right. <laughs> so this guy just tried to like pick up jobs and wash dishes in, across America. And he put out this 7-inch record on 702 Records. And this song kicked off the comp. There's four songs on it. Nice. Uh, there's songs by 10 The High Fives, and Scared of Chaka. It just went out with his zine that... Uh, he put out. And so it's kind of a funny little story that I never, I never knew. I had this book sitting on my shelf for years and never knew that it was connected to the queers.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard that story years later. I never heard the, the comp or, or read the book or anything, but.
1: All right, let's move on to Janelle Janelle, a song about a shy girl or maybe a new girl in town.
0: Right. Yeah. I like this song a lot because not only is it just a great poppy Joe queer song, there was a girl that I knew that was really shy and kind of this song reminded me of her for sure and we ended up dating for a couple years actually so it was kind of funny like i i kind of associated this song with her um (laughs) loosely she was super shy and and was was kind of more of an introvert yeah it's kind of there's not they don't give you a whole lot of backstory on this song right you know it's just sort of like this girl who you know just doesn't have any friends and was like upset about something she's crying and whoever's singing is going to make her feel better. And, you know, again, you might read more into it than Joe ever did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a sweet song. It's a sweet simple song. Idea. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love it. Again, you got like some really cool harmonies and the cool farfisa organ. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, And it's just a cool name. You know, Janelle was like a cool punk rock girl name. So totally. I was always excited about that. And it's got a cool guitar solo and, yeah, just a great Joe Queer pop song. Love it. I know something about the girl who's hoping to be seen standing alone in the back of the room.
1: She's just trying to fit in.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, great. Absolutely.
1: All right, man, brush your teeth. According to B-Face on the Jughead's Basement podcast, this song had been hanging around for years. Beefay said a lot of times Joe would just have a chorus and we would fool around with it for years before it became a song. And I'm sure you can relate as a songwriter. I know I've done that. You just have this idea banging around in the back of your head for a long time that you don't know what to do with and then one day you, you get something to hook onto it and boom, you're, you are yeah. a song. But <laughs>
0: this is this is my least favorite song on the record. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's fine. I don't skip it. I mean, I have a soft spot for it just because it's, you yeah. know, nostalgic for me. But um, it's again, it's like just that kind of shock value right. lyric that Joe used to write. Um, and, I,
1: and I feel like they needed a fast song. So yeah. they're like, all right, we need a fast one, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: it's kind of throwaway for me. I'm, this is the one you would take off and you would put never, ever. Sure. On. But, you know, yeah. then again, it's like I like that back and forth. I feel yeah. like you you do lose something if you if you just replace this with never ever mm-hmm. honestly, like I feel like the the whole vibe of the record is is better because of songs like this, even sure. though I don't like this particular song a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's short enough to where you just kind of it just kind of boom and then you're on to another poppy song, you know so right I, in that way, it doesn't bother me. But if I'm just gonna pick a queer song on this record to listen to, it's not this one. It's not mm-hmm. going on any of my queers compilations or mixtapes yeah. or anything like that. You definitely don't want to send this to a girl no. that you know. So it was it was one of those that just kind of was you know one of the 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 talk and the TikTok of the of the queers albums. Hey, for what it is, it's it's not bad and it's over quickly, so no harm done. It's like a minute long, so there you go. It's a nice little interlude. And then we're into Sidewalk Surfing Girl. Yes.
1: This was originally performed by the session musician band, The Hondals. Gary Usher assembled this crew to basically play songs about Hondas, which really cracked me up. So, of course, I had to deep dive into this thing. Mm -hmm. They scored a hit with the Beach Boys song, Little Honda, in in 1964. And it's rumored, and maybe you can support or refute this, Wyatt, that Capitol saw the success of The Hondals version and quickly released The Beach Boys version as a single. Mm-hmm.
0: that's true so this was a a side project band um the hondells that gary usher who was brian wilson's first collaborator yeah who wrote you know co-wrote a bunch of really early cool beach boy songs like 409 and lonely sea so he was also like a, a, a kind of an in-house uh, producer and came up with this idea to form a band they basically made a fake band out of the (laughs) idea of a band that rode motorcycles it's so silly (laughs) but they used the beach boys song little honda as kind of a jumping off point so they recorded Mm -hmm. this with studio guys and um put it out before the beach boys put out little honda and Mm -hmm. it was a big hit it was it was and then the beach boys put out little honda kind of as an afterthought this was the b-side of little honda sidewalk surfing girl sidewalk surfer girl I didn't know that at the time when I heard this record. I didn't know anything about The Hondells. I had no idea about that connection. Right. I just, you know, thought it was a queer song. So years later when I was getting more into the Beach Boys and the offshoot bands and studio projects, I found out about The Hondells and found out that this was a Hondell song and the Hondells version is awesome. It's really mm. slow, much more of a ballad and it's yeah. it's great. I mean, it's It's got like a cool lap steel guitar solo. Mm -hmm. But I think I remember hearing that J.J. Rassler like showed Joe this song because they Mm -hmm. were always like listening to 60s songs and stuff. And he suggested that they put it on the record. But yeah, when I heard it, it just blew me away. I thought it was a, you know, an original song, but it's a great song for this record. It's perfect. I mean, and I was a skater too. So just hearing a song that was kind of like, you know, about a girl that, that was a skateboarder, I mean, was just <laughs> another cool, you know, something that tied into my life and another fantasy of mine. It's like meeting a skateboarding girl, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, a punk rock girl and a skateboarding exactly, girl. Exactly, man. Sidewalk surfer girl. It's such a cool idea and it fits in so great with this record. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. And it's got great harmonies and yeah. great guitar work. I think JJ Rassler plays like the little clean guitar parts on this. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. I'm not positive, Mm -hmm. but that seems like the case. It it doesn't sound like Joe. So Mm -hmm. I think that J.J. plays that. And just judging on the lead guitar that you hear on this record and on Grow Up, like the unique sound of the guitar, um, Mm -hmm. like on songs like Burger King, Queen Queen and stuff like that, I think J.J. Rassler's playing like the lead sort of parts on this song. That definitely sticks out to me and um, makes sense because he was the one that brought this song to Joe. All right, let's move on to Another Girl. This is a cover
1: of a song by Hawaiian punk band, The Catalogs. Formed in 94, the band put out Viva Los Muertos in 1996 with this song as the leadoff track. And as the story goes, the queers met the catalogs during a stop off in Hawaii on the way to Japan. As fans of the band, they had booked the queers in their hometown and handed them their 13-song demo, you know, the band just immediately fell in love with this song and decided to put their own twist on it and include it here on Don't Back Down. It's kind of a cool story, especially if you're the catalogs to see your song. Yeah. <laughs> Go I had no idea record. about
0: that story until I heard Jugheads Basement. Yeah, it's really cool. When they when they brought up that story, it's pretty incredible. You know, just this this band in Hawaii that was huge fans of the queers and joe was like i'm gonna cover your song it's like yeah sure yeah (laughs) and it just you know i would never (laughs) have known this was a cover you know it sounds like a queer song Mm -hmm. so i think that's the best part is that yeah it fits it fits on the record so well it doesn't feel like a cover song but right
1: yeah they definitely put their own twist on it
0: yeah yeah and it's a great song i mean it's got some cool changes in it and a pretty cool lyric feels very much like you know another kind of 60s pop song yeah it just i mean it it blew my mind when i found out that this wasn't a queer song when this Mm -hmm. it just sounds exactly like something joe would write which is why he probably loved it so much and yeah i think it was inspired by joe And then it came full circle and he just, you know, made it his own. So that's really cool. I remember the the guy that wrote it saying that he was totally happy that people just thought it was a queer song, you know? Right. He was just pumped about it.
1: He sings, you know, she'll only
0: bring you hurt, make you feel like a jerk. She'll spend your money while you're at work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've always, we've always had friends that I think everybody has a friend that like dates a girl that's, that's really not. The best for him, um mm-hmm. or vice versa it's pretty relatable in that way, but you know when somebody's kind of like so far in that rabbit hole or like so caught up in a relationship there's nothing yeah. you can really do about it. you just you yeah, have to learn hard. the hard way in my personal experience, like I had a friend who was dating a girl, and he actually came to me and was like, "Hey, do you think this is a good idea?" and I said, No, to be honest with you, yeah. I don't <laughs> think it's a good idea, and he dated her anyway, and got married. Uh. And they got and then, yeah, divorced. Yeah, the friendship is intense <laughs> after that. And you're like, Ooh. yeah. Well, it was like, you know. Then years later, they get divorced, and I was yeah. like, I'm not gonna say it. Well, I told you so. But it's like, right. come on, man. <laughs> like, you know, you gotta trust your friends sometimes. But, yeah. <laughs> so that that this song reminds me of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, what a cool song, man. Kudos to the catalogs and 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 the dude yeah. that wrote this song, man. It's great. You you wrote a classic song. You know, I wish it was. I wish your own band could have had success. But man, how cool is it that your song is on a classic punk rock record?
1: Yeah, that's really
0: awesome.
1: Let's look at Love, Love, Love. So this was brought back from Grow Up. Yeah. The song had been slightly modified through playing it out. And the band just really liked it enough to want to record it again. So (laughs) it's
0: pretty cool. Yeah, it was kind of a classic queer song that Mm -hmm. I think B-Face said that they never recorded you know the hue and b face version of this song which is slightly different you Mm. know um a little bit faster i think yeah um and you know for me i'd never heard the original version so for me Mm. this is the original for for me personally you know this This is is the one i heard original version to me so Mm. um when i heard it much you know a year whatever later when i bought grow up it was kind of surprising i prefer this version you know yeah just love hughes and yeah yeah for sure uh it's it's a it's a great song i mean it's again another classic joe song they play this one live a lot too so mm-hmm. i've probably seen the queers like 50 times live like i oh wow, <laughs> i toured with them like in japan i was playing with the parasites at the time so we did a tour of japan with the queers and then i've just gone to see them so many times like that I feel like I don't know if there's a band that I've seen more than the queers. I think I've probably wow. seen them more than anybody, like That's personally, awesome. <laughs> but I haven't seen them in a long time, but just, you know, just over the years for like 20 years, I would see them at least a few times a year. So I have a pretty good idea of like, Oh, they played that song at this show or, you know, cause it's usually right. the same songs, but when, whenever they do throw in some different cuts, it always sticks out to me. They definitely played this song a lot. So I remember seeing it played live. Because it's kind of a more up-tempo song. Yeah. and um, It's got the really sing-songy, trouble, trouble chorus. Right. So you know,
1: yeah. It's definitely a crowd favorite. Yeah, it's a fun song, man. I, I like it a lot. All right, let's close it down with I Can't Get Over You. So starting in with arpeggio guitar, the song just kind of sounds like a distorted 60s tune. And what a great song this is. I love this mm. song. It's a great album closer. We mentioned Lisa Marr earlier. Joe Queer had reached out to Lisa, whose Vancouver-based band Cub was releasing records through Lookout. And they had toured with the Queers and the Muffs in August of 95. And an interesting little fact about that, Nico Case was Cub's fill-in tour drummer on that tour. And that was one of her first tours. So I thought that was kind of yeah, cool a cool. nugget of information. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Joe and Lisa were exchanging cassette tapes by mail, and the two co wrote this song. According to Lisa, he sent me a cassette tape with the chorus and the music, and I wrote the verses. It was one of those absolutely effortless songs that seemed to just write itself.
0: Just thinking about that guitar intro. I did some studio work with with our mutual friend Matt Drastic here in Nashville nice. a long time ago when he was still playing with the Queers, and he had Joe's. I played through one of Joe's amps, like his Marshall, in the mid two thousands or something, because it was at. I, I'm I could be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Joe's Marshall, like and his cabinet that says like maybe not maybe the bass cabinet's one that says the Queers are here. But anyway, it was Joe's. Yeah. Amp in his cabinet, and I was playing through it on on a on a session. I was like obsessed with like playing the the intro to "Can't Get Over You" because like, I found like the perfect like settings to, to do make it, it yeah, sound like, like that. And I was like, yeah. "This is it. This is Joe's. This is Joe's amp and his amp settings." Wow. So that was what. Every time I hear the intro, I'm like, "Yeah, that's it." yeah but um (laughs) yeah gotta do it i always have these weird personal connections with all these songs but that song is is so good and it's so poppy and it's not a punk rock song it's a great Mm -hmm. album closer for sure and i love that i think he originally sang it himself he sang lead and you can hear that version on um i think it's later days and better lays or whatever that whatever that uh, compilation is but I love hearing Joe sing the lead on it. He kind of last minute was like, "You should try singing this, Lisa and like she just sang the lead kind of last minute and they used that as the album track. So mm. pretty interesting. Um, and I love the harmonies on this. This was always a yeah. big deal to me, like great harmonies. yeah, loving the harmonies, like the the way they sounded together. and it's a great lyric too. I always love it. It's a great way to close an album. The whole sentiment of like the end of a relationship i know a lot but i can't get over you i'm stupid i'm you know all that is just it's just great it's just like that whole duality that i love about this record like the Mm -hmm. the super harsh kind of like mean punk rock aggro stuff and then saying all this sweet stuff about a relationship you know i think that's really like joe in a nutshell you know like he Mm -hmm. he He loves all this poppy 60s stuff and is, you know, really deep down just like a really sweet guy. But he also, you know, grew up listening to like Black Flag and, you know, Mm. hanging out with Gigi Allen and all that. So (laughs) he had a lot of angst and and anger. So it's just those two different sides of Joe that I always loved because I think, you know, being a kid and getting into music and, going through relationship problems and you know being an outcast you you get all those emotions and right you know kind of that back and forth aspect of it was pretty appealing for me you got that on albums but then you also
1: got that between albums cuz some albums were popular and then some albums were a little bit yeah. more rough around the edges or
0: more yeah. straightforward or so i think that's why so many people love this band i mean it made it like so much more satisfying when joe would do like something super poppy like this Mm -hmm. song because i don't know you kind of just it was it was sort of like i don't just the unexpectedness of it like you know hearing like when i first heard the queers like i said i heard that song blabbermouth and i just Mm -hmm. associated you know you hear the name the queers and then the song blabbermouth and it's just kind of like okay i get this band but you don't Mm -hmm. get it until you listen to the records and it's like man you have to listen to the to the albums to really understand what the queers are. And still to this day, like, I wear a queer shirt or tell somebody that one of my favorite bands is the queers. And they're like, oh, what's that about? What's the queers? Mm. Like, are they <laughs> gay? It's like, no, they're not gay. It's like, well, why are they right. called the queer? You know, it's just like this whole thing. Just listen to it. It doesn't matter what they're called. <laughs> it's just, <Right>. you know, <laughs> that's just who they are. They're just kind of, it, it, you know, and it's just also like that need to kind of, for Joe, I guess, um, I don't want to speak for him, but it seems to me like he he feels like the need to project that tough guy image. So like, mm-hmm. you know, not wanting to just make a record of pure pop songs because for some reason or another, he feels like he needs to, you know, be a punk and you know, whatever. But <laughs> this record sticks out to me because they just took a leap and said, we're going to make a record that is mostly just super pop and, yeah. you know, yep. being inspired by you know, super poppy bands like Misery Experience, and at the time, like Screeching Weasel, you know, coming after like Anthem for a New Tomorrow, and you know, just really good pop punk records. So I think right. the Queers were were kind of like dialed in on Trying that. To match those, yeah, yeah. So and then you know, Lookout Records was just putting out great stuff at the time. I think '96 was like their biggest year. They were putting out day great day, records yeah. for. <laughs> you know thanks to the new uh fans they had like me that found out about it through green day you know mm-hmm. they were able to put out records to a much bigger audience and yeah. they were putting out great records like the high fives and mm-hmm. squirt mm-hmm. gun and you know obviously screeching weasel Mr. T experience i mean god i mean another record that we could talk about is is uh, love is dead or yeah uh you know, Revenge is Sweet, you know, those records around the same time were just all incredible. So those are great. records. It's, um, (laughs) I think Joe queer fed off of all that energy that was going around and, uh, was, was less, uh, afraid of just putting out a great pop record. So this is Mm -hmm. just probably the poppiest song on the record. As far as that's concerned, it's just really great production. And, um, Lisa Marr sounds great on this too.
1: Taking a look at the artwork for this album, it's really just a band photo with the band name and album name in bold white letters. It was photographed by Nancy G. Horton and the fellows are standing in the sun clad in their leather jackets and sunglasses at Fort Stark in Newcastle, New Hampshire. And though you can't see much of the fortification in the cover photo, it's a Spanish-American war fort that remained in use through World War II. Interestingly, forts had been used at the location as far back as the American Revolution. <laughs> and it's apparently named for John Stark, a major general who made a name for himself defending supplies in Bennington, Vermont. So it's got all this history. I and mean, you can't see any of it <laughs> really in the picture, but sure. yeah. it's kind of cool that they were just shooting shoot photos down by this old fort and uh (laughs) and then that's it i mean there's really that's all there is to the artwork really on this on this record but
0: yeah i remember seeing this i mean i got pumped about it because it was like so stark and simple and Mm -hmm. like joe is holding an extra pair of converse like what is all that about like he has to carry (laughs) like an extra pair around with him (laughs) right i don't know what all that was about it but it just more solidified that like the punk rock dress code, for me at the time, it was like you know I'm only gonna wear, you know Converse black high top Converse and blue jeans and a leather jeans. jacket and right. a T-shirt. Like that's the that's the look. And yeah. um, you know they just look badass on this cover. I mean, oh, they totally do. They look awesome. And <laughs> it's just sort of it's so like just the way that it's shot from like down below. It's like mm-hmm. and how prominent like the queers don't back down it's just a badass yeah. cover and look out in yeah. the corner man mm-hmm. it's just it's just perfect it's just so like straight in your face it's just no frills like this is it the queers are here and we're not afraid to sing a bunch of poppy love songs it's, it's awesome Absolutely.
1: in closing the queers were a band i had heard of long before i actually heard any of their music When Hugh's opening drumline came pounding through my speakers via the Cinema Beard Nuts compilation, I took notice. Here was a band with an interesting name, covering one of my favorite bands, and they pulled it off. I dug into the album Don't Back Down and was quite pleased with its punked up surf meets garage rock, Beach Boys meets Ramones kind of sound. I really liked it, and for a long time I thought of the queers as a summer band, getting a lot of my attention during that season. This album is fun and sounds like a band trying a bit harder to craft interesting and intricate songs.
0: It's just, it was such an important record to me, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure to many other people that were young kids getting into punk rock and maybe liked a lot of 60s music too. Um, And maybe it helped people discover the music of the Beach Boys, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as kind of a gateway to that. But for me, it was like kind of that validation of mixture of the Ramones and the Beach Boys and kind of the 80s punk rock that the queers came out of and and then years later getting to beat Joe and you know be able to kind of say thank you for all this stuff and kind of be part of this world is is a big deal to me because these records especially don't back down were, were such a big big deal to me as a kid yeah. and it's still one of my favorite records and I'm I still listen to it regularly it's an all-timer for me man I just uh, I, I can't can't really say much more about it I think we've covered it
1: we have yeah. I was thrilled when I reached out to you and you came back with this album as a possibility I, I was trying not to sound too eager but I was like mm-hmm. yes let's do that record because yeah I just love it this has been a long time favorite of mine and so I'm super glad that we had a chance to to break it down today why this has been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah man I'm I'm so glad that you that you asked me. I'm a big fan of, of your show. It's had so many buds that have been on your show before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like like Matt Drastic and and Christian and and Mikey Erg and stuff. So it's a lot of fun and um glad to know that that there's other nerds out there that that kind of <laughs> like this stuff that we do. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah, the queers are awesome man. Don't back down.
1: Well, very cool, Wyatt. So before we go, where can people find your podcast? Where can people find your music? Where can people find you on the socials, all that stuff?
0: Yeah, so um, on Instagram, I'm just Funderburk. That's my last name. Um, That's pretty much the only socials I really keep up with. I produce a lot of music for uh, a guy named Kurt Baker. Uh, If you want to check out the album that we made last year, it's called After Party. Mm. and i'm pretty proud of that it's really fun um with uh made it with ex queers member jeff useless and uh <laughs> uh also um check out the sale on podcast and we have a sale on beach boys tribute band as well yeah just hit me up on instagram that's about it man simple guy if you're ever in, ever in nashville hit me up yeah it would uh, awesome drink a bud <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'd like to send a huge thanks to b for filling in some of the gaps for me on this record i'd like to thank the jughead's basement podcast where i grabbed a lot of this awesome information be sure to check out that podcast as well i'd like to thank my man craig for everything that he does behind the scenes here at talking records i'd like to thank Chris makes from lust and jake for the theme music I would like to thank all of you for tuning into Talking Records. It's a total blast to dive into these fantastic records each week, chat about the songs, and try to gather all the information we can into one neat little podcast. Check us out on the socials, say hello, suggest albums, tell us how you got into the queers. All right, Wyatt, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, Jed, thank you so much, man. This was awesome.